0: We uh, continue now in the um, fifth section of our, or the fourth section of our uh, um, pursuit of the sages of Israel and their teaching about how we are to be masters of the word, um, the uh, d- deploying the right word at the right time. Uh, the way one writer put it, that uh, believers in every age, according to this wisdom, are to exercise godly eloquence. And we've uh, considered this in three parts thus far. We looked at how to do things with words, uh, that is, the power of words. We looked at a particular uh, category of powerful words, that is, words of a Advice, including rebuke and the calling to hear and speak such words. And then last week we looked at the characteristic of wholesome words and we noticed in particular four characteristics, honesty, aptness, paucity, and profitability. And uh, with that latter in view, we naturally ask then, how do we produce such wholesome words? Uh, how are they made? And we begin in uh, that uh, quest with Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. And by the way, it, it, with your uh, link, I did send out the scripture guide uh, for <laughs> this time before the fact. So if you do have it available to you, maybe it'll help with... Uh, all of the um, citations. But Proverbs fifteen twenty eight: the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. So the uh, 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 proverb is focusing on the heart. Uh, this term is one of the most important anthropological terms in the Old Testament. The English language, strictly speaking, has no equivalent to this word. Uh, But it's a very uh, important and popular term in Proverbs. It's used 46 times throughout. And in the Old Testament, uh, the heart is the center of the person. uh, It controls not only the body, but all psychical functions including the intellect, feelings, and will. Um, the, um, in, in some ways, the, the word heart could be translated soul, um, but it's broader. When we think of the soul, we think of our immaterial functions, whereas the heart included uh, both the immaterial functions and uh, physical functions with, with respect to its governance. Um, the, um, so the heart, then, uh, its function depends on its condition, what we might call its bent, uh, or its disposition. Uh, and that is in view here when uh, the wise man speaks of the heart of the righteous now, not just an element of uh, anthropology, but an element having a particular characterization, that, it's in, that is, that it's inclined toward righteousness, as opposed to a heart that might be inclined in some other way, and we'll see that contrast in just a minute. Now, uh, what does such an inclination, that is, toward righteousness, uh, lead the heart to be about? Well, it ponders. It ponders how to give uh, an answer. Um, the word ponders in the Hebrew here has an extraordinarily broad range of meanings. It can mean to growl. Um, the, uh, if you saw me working on our finances and uh, going over the numbers and so on and pondering them, You might well suppose that I was growling in the course of it (laughs) because I don't find numbers at all uh, to my uh, liking. Uh, It can mean to mutter, uh, so a a kind of incoherent uh, uttering. Or it can be used to speak uh, depending on the context. But here the context clearly has it be an inner kind of speaking, a a meditation or a reflection. The heart of the righteous uh, meditates, it ponders, it it, it reflects inwardly on how something outwardly should be brought to bear on a circumstance. Um, The um, and now, this work of pondering or meditating is is very, very important in the scripture for the formation of the inner life. Uh, think, for example, of uh, Psalm 63, uh, verses 5 and 6. My soul will be satisfied with fat and with rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate upon you in the watches of the night. Uh, the word translated "meditated" here, meditate is the same word we have translated ponder. And you notice here, this pondering leads to a, a, a rich inner life, satisfaction, joy, and so on. It is the fruit of it. Again in Psalm 77 at verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord, yes, I will remember your wonders of old and I will ponder all your work and meditate upon your mighty deeds. And this helps to form the inner life of one who ponders in such a way that uh, confidence uh, and trust in the Lord grows uh, through this work. Um, So that our text might fairly be put something like this. Uh, the one who is in tune with the creator and his creation inwardly talks to himself about how best to speak to others. Uh, That is what's in view here. Now, uh, what is best is not spelled out for us here in the proverb, but the parallelism of the verse, uh, recall, the contrast with the mouth of the wicked pouring forth evil things, the parallelism suggests that uh, the answer is righteous. So that the uh, uh, the heart that is tuned, that is pondering, uh, comes up with a righteous answer. And this is in contrast to the mouth of the wicked. Now notice uh, that this pondering uh, is a fundamental part of anthropology as God has made us. But the wicked is not said to reflect in his heart, but rather the parallel moves straight to the image of his mouth uh, uh, so as to rush past reflection to an impulsive pouring forth. And that's just the sensibility uh, the proverb wants us to get, that uh, whatever reflection was was inadequate to uh, well-formed words, uh, Bruce Waltke translate this translate this bl- blurting forth in one place or gushing out in another, um, and this uh, uh, phrase too is regular a regular theme in the proverbs. Now, with respect to the, the senseless, to the fool, uh, you can see this in Proverbs fifteen two. The mouths of fools pour forth folly. Uh, There's our term at work. Um, Now, this is just a particular instance of what wisdom uh, regularly lauds, and that is the point that um, uh, uh, our uh, inner life ought to be not a matter of impulse, but the fruit of reflection. And um, the uh, y- you can see that contrasted in a number of places. Proverbs nineteen two for example, desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Simply to be moved to uh, to be be passionate, uh, but without some uh, inner awareness that gives direction. Is, is folly. Proverbs 25, uh, twenty five twenty It is a snare to say rashly it is holy and to reflect only after making vows. In, in other words, you come upon some circumstance where you suppose that uh, there's a particular response required of sanctity because of the circumstances, but you don't attend to it carefully enough but you've rashly gone ahead and made vows that seemed appropriate to the circumstance, but the circumstance, it turns out, wasn't worthy of them at all. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So you see, this, this is a general virtue that belongs to wisdom that is now being particularly applied to the production of wholesome words. And so, there is a reflective thoughtfulness that is necessary to the production of wholesome words, and there is a right heart required for the source of them. So, two parts, a reflection, a reflective thoughtfulness, and a a right heart. And um, I'm going to sum those up, Uh, into two uh, principal needs. Character, that's the well-formed heart, and consideration, that's the pondering. These two elements, character and consideration, are crucial to the production or the making of well-formed words. And I want us to explore that a little further tonight uh, as we bring to bear... uh, some other elements of the Proverbs on uh, this consideration. So, character, that's the heart of the righteous, and consideration, uh, the pondering. So, wholesome words are constructed from righteous character. Um, As we've said, the heart uh, is crucial here. Uh, The person's character is decisive for his way of life. Um, Derek Kidner uh, put put it this way: "What a man says wells up from what he is." It's nicely put. What a man says wells up from what he is. Um, the um, and this uh, general truth about human nature. Um, Uh, is especially applicable to words. Uh, And so Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance because from it flow the springs of life. All, All of the aspects of our life flow forth from the heart. And so obviously speaking would be one of those and therefore we need to keep our heart with all diligence with respect to our capacity to frame wholesome words. Now notice here that the righteous in view are not the perfect or the sinless. The righteous, um, generally speaking in the Old Testament, are those who live faithfully according to the religion for sinners that God has appointed. In other words, the righteous is not the sinless, but the righteous is the one who sins and then has recourse to the sacrifices and fulfills the obligations to the the, um, ceremonial law and in that, by faith, then finds himself restored to the Lord. Uh, But more particularly in the Proverbs, the righteous are those who are generally disposed to and have a pattern of life reflecting upon what is in accord with the way God has ordered things. Uh, That's the righteous in the Proverbs. Uh, This has respect to personal morality. It has uh, respect to social relations. It even has to do with skill in dealing with the natural order. In all of these things, the righteous are those who are attentive to the order that God has appointed and live accordingly. The righteous is the one who evidences a practical embrace of that order that God has established in creation, regardless of which category of order we're talking about. Um... Uh, So, for example, uh, Proverbs 12, 10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast. Do you see that here? We are simply talking about livestock. But uh, the righteous is the one who is wise enough to understand what the order that God has appointed requires and therefore brings himself into conformity with it. Uh, Such persons may fail. Uh, they may not live up to the standard they've achieved. Um, and this is uh, 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 something to be lamented, Proverbs 25:26, Like a muddled, mud, excuse me, like a muddied spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. You see, here's one who has ordered his life well, uh, but he fails in the uh, before the assault of the wicked, and it it's muddying, it's polluting, it isn't just finally destroying. However, because we read further, those who have been shaped by God's principles will rise up again. Proverbs twenty four sixteen, for the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. You see, that there, there's a finality that's attached to the wicked in their wickedness, uh, whereas, whereas with respect to the righteous, there's a finality attached to their righteousness. Though they fall, they rise up again uh, because God uh, is at work with them. Uh, so the Proverbs, in, in Proverbs, the righteous it is are just another way of describing the wise. Uh and so you can see this in the parallelism of Proverbs twenty-three-twenty-four. The Father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Do you see Father of the Righteous is parallel to father's a wise son, and that's what's in view before us in uh proverb we're using as our theme text. Let me stop there and see if anyone has any questions or concerns or re- reflections about what we've talked about thus far uh, concerning the heart and uh, the righteous. All right. Um, then, uh it it is a character such as this, a character in tune with the order that God has appointed in the world uh, that produces wholesome words. Uh, And recall that the wholesome words that we're concerned about are honest words. They're apt words. They're words that are few and profitable. Uh, And... um, We'll look just back. We'll look back briefly, just to be reminded of it. Uh, now, with respect to this disposition of the heart, uh, a, a righteous disposition of the heart uh, produces honest words. So, for example, Proverbs thirteen five: the righteous hates falsehood. Do, do you see? His heart is indisposed utterly. Uh, to lying, he hates it, and thus, because uh, he's in fact disposed toward the truth, uh, he loves it, that bears fruit in speaking the truth. Again, in proverbs fifteen twenty six the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Well, again, you see the parallelism at work. Um, The thoughts of the wicked, well, they're going to bear fruit in uh, uh, words that are worthless, but the thoughts themselves are the abomination because they're the source of it. But on the other hand, uh, here we have that gracious words are pure. In other words, the fruit of... A heart that's rightly ordered before God bears fruit in something that's pleasing to God. Uh, um, gracious words are pure. Uh, such a disposition produces apt words, Proverbs 16:23. It's the heart of the wise that makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. It's out of a l- l- love uh, to have words that are well adapted to the needs of the moment that those words are brought forth. And, uh, and added to the idea here is persuasiveness. Uh, it leads to a power uh, of those words and it's rooted in the heart. Uh, so so too, thirdly, such a disposition produces words that are well considered. Uh, that is that uh, they're few in relationship to uh, what the need of the hour is in speaking. Proverbs twenty nine twenty. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Uh, in other words, here there's a love for economy, there's a, a, a love for having just the right amount and no more to accomplish what is needed. Um, the, uh, and you see how, in fact, in so many areas, in, in uh, the way God has ordered the world, economy is uh, 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 not, not only highly desirable, but it is a, a thing of beauty, and it leads to pr- prosperity. Prosperity. And an economy of words is of a similar character to an economy of energy, an economy of, uh, uh, of uh, uh, this worldly prosperity, and so on. And finally, uh, such a disposition produces profitable words. Proverbs 10.3 The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. Um, the uh, a heart that is tuned to righteousness um, brings forth a wisdom that is profitable uh, and not cut off. In other words, again, tracing the parallelism, seeing the full I- impact of the proverb by comparing its two parts. Um, they're profitable words because they spread knowledge. Um, Proverbs fifteen seven: The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. Both of these begin in the heart. The heart of fools, there's no spread of knowledge, but the heart of the righteous, pondering a matter, spreads uh, knowledge and is profitable to others so proverbs 10:20 the tongue of the righteous is choice silver the heart of the wicked is of little worth in each case you see the the proverb the latter part focuses on the heart and cuts to the chase there's no worth there at all here the heart is the foundation of a tongue that's righteous and that does produce something that is profitable it's choice silver. Uh, Here you see the clear and regular alignment. Um, As is the heart, so is the tongue. That's what the wise men are trying to get at at here at this point. And their teaching includes a warning uh, that we need to be wary of. That is uh, that it's true that the righteous heart produces wholesome words. However, it doesn't follow that if we find what appear to be wholesome words, it demonstrates a heart of righteousness. This is a critical point. It's true that a righteous heart does produce wholesome words, but it doesn't follow if we find what appears to be wholesome words, it demonstrates a heart of righteousness. The wise men warn us off of this point. So Proverbs 26 at verse 23, Like the glazed covering of an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Do you see, the, the lips seem to have a, a fervency, a, uh, a um, uh, heartfelt determination in, in some way that might get your attention, Um, But, in fact, it covers what is wicked. It goes on. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. and And though his hatred be covered with deception... His wickedness will be finally exposed in the assembly. So there's a profound need here for discernment. One must have a care. Not all wholesome words reflect a good heart. They may be words cleverly chosen to deceive uh, and to do harm. Proverbs 28.3 Workers of evil speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Such workers of evil, using the good gift of speech as a weapon, are a terrible curse and burden to bear. And so the uh, the psalmist laments this circumstance in Psalm 55 at verse 20. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant his speech was as smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, and yet they were drawn swords. Uh, the, uh, so that the uh, point here is that there must be a careful discernment. And the, um, at, at the end of the day, uh, we don't take it up here, But the proof of the words is finally found in the actions, Uh, and that is what distinguishes, finally, the words that are deceiving words and the words that are genuine. Well, that's part one of our uh, uh, study of this point, that is, the uh, idea of uh, the heart that is... Righteous, the character of uh, one who produces um, good words or wholesome words. We're going to turn in in just a moment to how those wholesome words are constructed by consideration, but let me again pause and see if there are questions or comments or reflections. I see the chambers. Hey, Dave, it's
1: Bonnie. Hi, Bonnie. Um, The thing I was thinking about is when you, the verses that you are talking, reading, and about using few words and and the wisdom and the pondering and letting that work through us. I know that I have a harder time communicating clearly with few words than Bill does, for instance. He's very good at choosing the right words, and it takes more words for me to communicate what I want to communicate right (laughs) but that doesn't the focus that I'm seeing at least I'm thinking I'm seeing is that what it's the work it's doing in my heart that is motivating what I communicate and not just talking incessantly
0: that's right sure that's exactly right and all of us grow in uh, the capacity uh, in other words the, remember we talked about um, uh, when we talked about honesty the the phrase my mother used to wag her finger and warn us the truth will out well uh, there, I think it has a counterpart uh, with respect to love love will find a way out It it will manifest itself and so long as that's What's going on in the heart, the outward expression of it, if we're being diligent and so on uh will more and more find the, the most apt expressions. I think that's true um, the uh and um, and and of course uh, the, the as I think of it, um, I I like the idea of words being few, and Paul uses some interesting plays on words when he teaches on the matter, uh, or a paucity of words. But I, I think perhaps here, now in this context in particularly, the idea of an economy of words is, is better put. I, I want the the words but no more to communicate what I'm trying to communicate Um, and if it takes me a few more words (laughs) I'm being eh, 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 economical with respect to my own place and time and skills and so on uh, and someone might be more economical but uh, it it also depends on your hearer though Uh, we all know that there are sometimes that more needs to be said or that uh, a word or two is sufficient. Does that help? Bonnie?
1: Yeah, that, that, that helps round it out because I, I... It's just sometimes it takes me a lot longer to say it, but I think that within the context of what you're saying and when you're saying, and praying and using the Lord's teaching to give us wisdom when to say what we need to say and when not to say what
0: we don't say. Yes, yep, absolutely. Other thoughts, questions, comments, reflections on this first point uh, about uh, the the, um, making of wholesome words?
2: Dave, this is Paul. I, I appreciated your distinction between the righteous and the wicked with respect to how that plays out in, in terms of sin. I'm sure, I assume I've heard it before, but um, I don't know something about the way you said it made it make more sense because there obviously are a number of problems you get into if you think that the the righteous person in the Old Testament is perfect and blameless. And, um, so I, I appreciated that point very much.
0: Mm, Great. Great, Paul. Any other, uh, thoughts, questions, or reflections that you'd like to. All right, let's press on then. Um, the, uh, We have um, wholesome words then uh, flow forth uh, from a heart uh, that is righteousness. Uh, Now we're going to look at wholesome words uh, constructed by consideration. Um, Wholesome words don't just flow naturally from the heart, but according to the sages, they require thoughtful effort. Um, I've chosen the word consideration here deliberately to try and capture this. Um, It is, I I know, an older sense of the word uh, than when, uh, when it's used for reflection or pondering. Today we tend to use the term only for a sense of attentive to the needs of others. Uh, but the word properly comprehends both careful thought and being mindful of others and i think in fact at this point the idea of both of them combined really captures what the scriptures are getting at we want to be careful to we want to consider carefully our words that sense of consideration and we want to be considerate with our words Uh, That's what the sages are getting at here. Um, The uh, Puritan commentator uh, Charles Bridges nicely summarizes this point. He said, Consideration is an important part of the Christian character, nowhere more important than in the discipline of the tongue. Think twice before we speak once. Now, there, there, there's a lovely aphorism. Uh, Think twice before we speak once. And I, I tried to find a source uh, of that because it seems clearly to be something uh, he's passing on. Um, and I was having a hard time, but I did find something very close to it. And uh, the source was in William Penn, the founder of Pennsylvania. And his version of it, uh, I think, is even better. Um, he says, if you think twice before speaking once, you will speak twice the better for it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> if you think twice before speaking once, you will speak twice the better out for it. By the way, I've put a, a few of these funny little proverbs uh, in the tail end of... Uh, your uh, text uh, sheet that I sent out to you. Um, But um, the point is that consideration uh, provides depth and gravity to our words, according to the sages. Uh, Proverbs 18.4, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. There's a kind of gravitas, there's a kind of depth, there's a kind of richness that comes from uh, consideration. Uh, And the words that flow forth from consideration um, are in in fact um, uh, solid. Uh, Think of that uh, proverb we looked at already. It's a snare to say rashly it is holy uh, and only to reflect after in the making of vows. The one who ponders carefully reflects upon the circumstances. Uh, What are the facts at hand? Um, What is the context? um, And all of that uh, uh, goes into the way he thinks about addressing this situation. The one who ponders reflects carefully upon the what the words are to achieve. He has clearly in mind uh, what he wants to accomplish. It reminds us of what we have spoken of earlier, that wisdom is always purpose-oriented, that there must be a goal for my words, fairly thought to be achievable, through the use of those words. Um, The one who ponders carefully reflects upon what biblical principles ought to guide in this matter, bringing the truth of Scripture to bear on these particular circumstances in such a way that it addresses them properly. And the one who ponders, carefully reflects in order that our words evidence sound reasoning, sound reasoning that will commend itself to a fair-minded reception. You may have sound principles. You may have assessed the facts properly. You may be uh, 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 uh... bringing to bear the right scripture principles. But if it's not according to the principles of sound thought, well, uh, your words are not going to finally be wholesome words. Um, the uh, We'll look at this a little uh, more fully, this last point at, at a later lecture. But um, w- w- what we're trying to get at is that w- whenever we want to uh, um, assert Uh, something, we have to have assessed the facts aright, the circumstances aright. We have to assess whatever rule or uh, uh, principle or scripture is to be applied to those facts. We have to get that right. But then there's a pattern of reasoning that brings those together to lead to a sound conclusion. And it's that pattern of reasoning that we have in view here. And that takes reflection. It takes pondering a matter. Uh, And for your words to be wholesome words, that part uh, can't fail. Um, So, uh, the one who ponders carefully further reflects upon the limitations inherent in the matter. And thus has realistic expectations. Words are limited. Uh, they uh, we we can be we can misuse words slightly. We can not pick the word that is just best for what we're trying to say, and um, that can make uh, our communication uh, uh, more difficult. Um, the, um, not only the words, but the speaker <laughs> uh, there has limitations. And uh, the one that is hearing has limitations. All of this uh, reality comes to the mind of one who is pondering, wanting to speak well. And it leads them to humility in speaking and adaptability. The willingness in in the face of all of these kinds of limitations, the willingness to speak and then listen and then adapt and listen and to not be offended if uh, uh, people don't immediately fall down uh, in wondering admiration of your wise words and so on, uh, but to Humbly keep trying to accomplish the good you hope your words will do. Thus a proper humility and adaptability gained through experience that the one who ponders well will enjoy. He recognizes his own and others' capacity for innocent error and thus is equipped to be long-suffering for the sake of the good of the one that he's talking to. And I, I again, I can't help but comment on our current cultural circumstance. Um, in our public discourse, it's almost as if um, that folk have lost the idea of innocent error, that, um, that error is only a lie only a culpable attempt to wield power over me by deceiving me, and um, if and when the fine, the culture finally capitulates that to the un, only understanding of error, uh, that's when you start killing each other. That's when wars come about. Um, and this is a profound scripture teaching that needs to be embraced and held forth by God's people. Um, the, um, thus, uh, pondering. Um, I feel like I've uh, missed something here, but maybe it is yet to come. I'm trying to think of where it was. But I'm going to pause again here. That's what I wanted to say about pondering. Do you have questions or comments or reflections on any of that? All right, well, so then, what are we to make of all of this? Um, And here I want to close with some reflections on wholesome words and character formation. We've said um, that wholesome words flow from a heart uh, that uh, is righteous, that It's of a certain inclination. And uh, how is such character formed? Um, To put it uh, succinctly, uh, in order to speak well, there must be a suitable well from which wholesome words flow forth. And that well must be formed in the person. In fact, the Proverbs are given to us in the Scripture largely for this well formation, this molding of the character of the young in Israel. Uh, We could sum the whole matter up in in, in this and... uh, I tried to get it in a sentence and after I wrote the sentence I realized it was awfully long and uh, um, so let me see if I can put it in the chat, now for some reason I can't find the chat again. Oh, there we go. For some reason, my, my screen is condensed. Here's um, what I'm going to uh, say or read to you, and uh, but maybe it'll help you to have it to follow. Here's the whole matter in sum. Character is formed by the judicious and consistent application of pleasures and pains to the body and the conscience in relation to particular acts such that one's own be, such that one owns the behavior and feels the connection between act and consequence and realizes that in large measure He is the master of the consequences by the decisions he makes. I'll look at each of the parts. But again, character is formed by the judicious and consistent application of pleasures and pains to the body and the conscience in relation to particular acts such that one owns the behavior, feels the connection between act and consequence, And realizes that in large measure, he is the master of the consequences by the decisions he makes. This is what the sages teach about character formation in Proverbs. And you can see this again and again. I hope you've already, uh, from the many Proverbs we've cited, see them embodied in this summary statement. Uh, So it is the uh, judicious application. That, That is to say, it's rooted in justice, that you're giving what is due. Praise where praise belongs. Reproof where reproof belongs. Too much praise for too little accomplishment cheapens it and distorts character. Too much reproof for small crimes, for piccadillos, provokes resentment, and distorts character. But a judicious, a just application of pleasures and pains, uh, in fact, helps to mold a person's character, Um, rooted in the uh, in-built sense of justice that we have. And I'll say as an aside, that, uh, for want of this element, uh, a, a just distribution of pra- praise and penalty uh, in relationship to be- people's behavior, uh, for want of this, American culture is collapsing with respect to the character of the generations uh, now coming of age because they have been schooled in... Uh, 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 there being no just relationship between their behaviors and the outcomes that they have in their life. And we're destroying the character of young people in this culture. It's a just and consistent uh, application. Uh, This consistency only produces habits and habits are at the root of character. To be called to account once a month, however just it may be, is not going to lead to character formation. It has to be a consistent uh, application. Now, the application is of pleasures and pains to body and conscience. This is what the wise men have to say. Um, it inc- it means there are rewards and punishments, Re- rewards and punishments that uh, are applicable to uh, the inner life and to the outer life, uh, the body, especially with respect to the young. And again, I think it's uh, horrifying that um, uh, it's entirely possible that in some Countries, it's actually going to be against the law to be faithful to the Proverbs with respect to children. But the sages don't blink at all. Proverbs 23 14, 13. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. Now we need to correct the Word, or at least interpret the words here to get make it plain uh, it, it, soul here does not mean e- eternal soul it means life, physical life and Sheol doesn't mean heaven and hell it means simply death uh, this is a statement about not redemption but this worldly flourishing This is not justification by being struck with the rod alone, but rather it is the way of wisdom preserving this worldly life by being disciplined properly in a way that leads to sound character formation. So it is the judicious and consistent application of pains and pleasures to the body and to conscience this is an act of love. Proverbs 1324. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. This is an act of love, not only for uh, a child, but for brothers and sisters in Christ, when we're used of the Lord to in, in appropriate ways. Uh, Uh, be part of their character development in the life of the community. It's an act of love. Note that it is not only bodily pain, but it it is also an appeal to the conscience, an address to the inner self, that one would have a sense of mental pain or pleasure according to the conscience in relationship to their deeds. The conscience being gratified or rewarded when it's praised for something good and feeling pain when ill-doing is reproached. Pain and shame are crucial parts of character formation. And again, Modern thought is repudiating this entirely, but God created the conscience precisely to feel pains and penalties in help with character formation. Um, and uh, I, the, the phrase still belongs to our culture in, uh, in, in the English language, but it's falling out of use. Uh, it was nothing for a person to say when I was growing up, you know, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now, if we pay attention to that sentence, the word ought is used. We're saying it's a moral obligation given this state of affairs that you feel ashamed and that that's a good thing to have impressed upon you. Um, that's not the only thing to be impressed upon you, but a good thing to be impressed upon you. So Proverbs twenty nine fifteen, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof. In other words, there are uh, pains and penalties that belong to the body and pains and pl- penalties that belong to the body. Uh, to the inner life and these things are the foundation of wisdom because they're the foundation of character building Uh, and um, if a a child isn't the beneficiary of such gifts they're very likely to do great harm to themselves and to others there is um, a joy in speaking well and being commended And that joy reinforces the behavior of speaking well. It's character building. Uh, There is a joy, the joy of one commending it, having received it, and the joy of the one commended. The Proverbs recognize both. Proverbs 23, 15. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exalt when your lips speak what is right. There is a delight that another has in wholesome words being given to to, to another. And and that delight is part of the reward for speaking them, to know the admiration and appreciation of others. Uh, Proverbs 15.23 To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. It's a delightful thing to the one speaking. To see that it was so contrived as to bring a solution to a problem, to bring comfort to where there uh, was lamentation, to bring encouragement where there was discouragement. Um, well, the point is, pains and pleasures, rewards and punishments, these are crucial to the formation of character. They are brought to bear on another in such a way that he is to learn to own his behavior. Yes, I did this, and yes, this is worthy of that. In a way that he, he uh, owns his behavior and thus feels the connection between his act and the consequence, and sees that the choices he made largely determined the outcome that he has undergone. And it's an habituation of that, that I experience pains and pleasures, I own them as my own decisions that I've made. I see that they're the consequences of those decisions, and therefore I had agency in it and responsibility in it. And when that's reinforced again and again in me, it helps to mold my character, because God has made me to want the pleasures and to want to avoid the pains. And most importantly here, to underline, I don't just want to come to know this speculatively as a matter of theory, but it must be in my lived experience. Thus, I come to learn prospectively when I think of what I might do, What? how shall I decide, that the choices I make largely determined for me by pains and pleasures in this world. And in fact, acquiescence to excuses is fatal to wisdom and righteousness. To mitigate unjustly your own responsibility or another person's responsibilities to do them great harm. The crucial element in character formation is that I see my behavior and count it as mine, I own it, and I feel just responsible, justly responsible for whatever outcomes are forthcoming. Now, the sages of Israel believe that this must begin early. Thus, Proverbs addresses youth. Uh, But it's important to note that Almost all cultures have recognized this, where civilization has come to be a fruit of that culture. Uh, the Roman poet Virgil, for example, put it well. Um, as is the twig as the twig is bent, so the tree inclines. There's what we've been saying in a nutshell. Um, but although youth is a crucial time. It's important to note that these same principles apply at any age. You can mold your own character by the consistent and judicious application of pains and pleasures of conscience and body, forming habits according to these principles. Um, (laughs) It's always an embarrassing story, but it's so pungent in my own experience, I feel forced to tell it When I was very young, I sucked my thumb, as I I suppose many... uh, In fact, in those days, I know now uh, the uh, baby doctor Nazis uh, are opposed to that altogether. But at least in my day, it was tolerated for a while. But for me, unhappily, it went uh, much longer than it should have. It was humiliating to me. I was a kid walking around, and I would... I'd be embarrassed about. it. I would go suck myself, thumb and private, and I was finally so embarrassed about it. I thought I I gotta quit doing it, but I I was having a terrible time, and so I went and found uh, uh, in the medicine cabinet a, uh, a a little bottle, and I looked at it, and it it was a a fingernail potion that. People would put it on their fingernails to keep from biting their nails, and it had the most obnoxious aroma and the most uh, uh, foul um, taste. And it would help people get rid of the habit of biting their fingers. Well, I started painting that stuff on my thumb, and uh, probably a month later, I was free of that entirely. <laughs> my mother was astonished to find my uh, my blanket uh, thrown in a corner of the basement and so on but uh, the, the, it illustrates the fact that the principles we're talking about are applicable to our circumstances at any time in life and this work is of utmost importance uh, it's been captured in uh, aphorisms that are powerful um, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson you may know the uh, humanist transcendentalist in New England. He put it this way, sow a thought and you reap an action. This is in your handout. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap reap a habit. Uh, Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. Now it's interesting, and I'd love to solve this mystery, but uh, Tyron, Tyron Edwards Uh, the great-great-grandson of Jonathan Edwards uh, uh, had a version of this himself, and whether he's the originate of it or Wilson. But the fact is, I cite it just to show you that there's nothing uh, peculiar to the uh, transcendentalism of Emerson to that statement. Uh, Edwards, a Calvinist, uh, thoughts become words, words become deeds, deeds become habits, Habits become character, and character becomes destiny. Um, uh, And the point we need to notice is that this is a work of nature, not a work of grace. This is the way God has made us. This belongs to the capacity of human nature, drawn upon by parents and moralists in every place and every age. Whether Christianity is known or not, if people have just paid attention to human nature. Um, uh, And it's crucial here to see that although this um, leads to a person being righteous, it is relatively righteous. We cannot depend upon even the finest this-worldly character molded in this fashion to be judicially righteous before God. And I have a question, a quote from Calvin. Oh dear, I've run over time. Um, I don't want to rush this. I think I'm going to quit and come back to this the next time we get together. But the the point I want to leave you with here is to realize that what we've been talking about in character building here and what the sages are talking about are things that belong to human nature. And, uh, but then... The gospel um, builds on that. And one of the things that the gospel has to do is that this building on character on human nature can lead a person to suppose that works righteousness is going to make them right before God. And the point is, you can have works righteousness. The Apostle Paul say with regard to the law, he was without fault. But, of course, that was filthy rags in comparison to the standard of God. But the fact is, human nature, natural human nature, is capable of that kind of character. And that's what we've been talking about. Uh, But we're going to see that um, there's something even more important to be said here when we come to understand our role as Christians. And using this with respect to Christian nurture and not simply the nurture of human beings in their character. Well, let me quit there uh, and see if you have any questions, and we'll come back to this the next time um, we're together, because I don't want to uh, give this short uh, drift. Any thoughts, questions um, on this uh, let me just make a note to myself of uh, where we are. All right. Anyone? Comment? Question? Objection? Anything you'd like to... If you've still got the energy, we're, we've run a little over our time. Well? <laughs> Dave,
2: can I, read, can I read a quick quote along the same lines that you were just... Oh, yes. Just Telling us? Please,
0: please do. Uh,
2: this is a quote the, the, the character that takes command in moments of crucial choices has already been determined by a thousand other choices made earlier in the seeming unimportant moments. It has been determined by all the day to day decisions made when life seemed easy and crises seemed far away decisions that piece by piece, bit by bit, developed habits of discipline or of laziness, habits of self sacrifice or of self indulgence, habits of duty and honor and integrity, or dishonor and shame.
0: Is that, that Lewis? Is,
2: that is Ronald Reagan.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Well that's tremendous. Thank you, Paul. You gotta send me that quote. Sure. That's wonderful, and that certainly captures what uh, that I've been trying to say, and I think what the sages of Israel were try- are trying to teach us. Other thoughts. Well, thank you all again for uh, participating tonight, and um, if you didn't, if you couldn't get what was in the chat, um, I'd be glad for you to uh, just email me and let me know, and I'll send you. Uh, a printed version of it. Um, the, or, uh, yeah, so let me know. Um, this, uh, is our last meeting for, uh, two weeks. Um, next week we won't meet, and the week following we won't meet, um, because we're, uh, Jenny and I are going to be, at Thanksgiving with our, uh, daughter and her family in Grand Junction, Colorado. And, uh, It's, I think, 22 degrees out there right now, so (laughs) we're going to a great place. Um, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you uh, for our study this evening. We pray that uh, the truth of your word would be impressed um, on our hearts and minds and that uh, we would be molded after that truth, knowing that uh, we... In so doing, we will become more and more like our Savior, and we seek that for his glory and for our good, and we ask it in his name. Amen.